All right. Good afternoon again, everyone. Good to be here. Good to be working through 1 Peter. We're getting towards the end. Only three more after this one. Uh, so look at that. I'm getting through it. Um, before I start, I'm going to pray uh, and just uh, pray that God will give me the right words and ask all the right hearts to hear what he has to say today. Lord, we want to thank you that we can be here. We thank you for this chance to gather around your word. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand and give me uh, your words to speak your truth uh, and give us all hearts to uh, understand and obey. Uh, I pray that we would be transformed by your words so that we can live as you uh, want us to. Amen. All right. Well, I want to say welcome to 2019. You've made it. Congratulations. Uh, it's a big thing. And if Instagram is to be trusted, thanks, Lyndon. If Instagram is to be trusted, this year is going to be your best year yet. How good is that? Unbelievable. Uh, the new year is always the time, isn't it, when we, uh, we reevaluate things, we decide to make some changes, we decide to be a better us. Uh, whether it's getting fitter, whether it's being more organised, eating healthier, whatever it might be, uh, the start of the year is the time where we stop and think about it, isn't it? Uh, and I've got to admit that I love it. Absolutely love it. Not doing it myself, uh, but I love watching other people do it. I love the stories of transformation. Uh, when I'm not watching shows about superheroes, uh, my next go-to is reality, transformation shows. Uh, and it's something Kirsten and I agree on. It's one of the few types of shows we both like watching. Uh, we are absolute suckers for shows like The Biggest Loser, uh, Fixer Upper, things where you see someone go from here to there in a short space. Uh, it, it's that changing lifestyles and the determination that comes with it. Uh, and when you watch those shows, absolutely the look forward to week, the most satisfying one is the one where they give you the side-by-side comparison, isn't it? Where you go, oh, look who they were and look who they are now. Uh, it's, it's striking to see the differences uh, and often amazing to see what changes have taken place. Uh, well, today's passage is all about the fruits of transformation. Uh, the drastic change that happens, not when we change our diet, not when we get more organised, uh, but it happens when we become a Christian. Uh, and we see it there in verse 2. Have a look with me. It says, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. See, the transformation uh, is that we see someone go from, from living for themselves, for human desires, to living for the will of God. Uh, and I want you to notice that, that in this range of options, there's not many spots, are there? Uh, there's not a lot along the spectrum. Either you're living for earthly desires... Or you're living for the will of God. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. Uh, and this passage helps us uh, to dissect what does it look like for someone who's made that transformation. Uh, what does it look like to be someone who's decided to live God's way? Um, as we start this new year, as we head into 2019, uh, there's lots of transformations you can think about. Uh, but there's only one that really matters. Uh, and it's the one whether you've decided uh, to live for the will of God, whether you're going down the Christian path. 
Uh, whether you've been doing it for a while, maybe you've been transformed for years and years, uh, maybe you're just new to it, you've just become a Christian, maybe you're just looking in, trying to figure out if this lifestyle changes for you. Um, together, we're all going to look and we're going to see what it means to be transformed as a Christian, what the Christian life really looks like. Uh, and if you're anything like me, you're going to see, as we, as we unwrap that, as we see what it is to be a Christian, you're going to find it's a little bit of a kick in the pants. Are you going to be reminded of what it really means to be living for the will of God? Uh, and so together, uh, we'll see that this transformed Christian lifestyle uh, is a no pain, no gain kind of deal. Uh, we're going to see that it's all in, all or nothing, when it comes to being a Christian. We're going to see that it's heading to a finish line. There's an end inside. Uh, we're going to see that it's a lifestyle that values membership. Uh, and so come with me. We'll look through all those four points uh, and we'll see what the Bible has to say. And we'll start uh, right there in verse 1. Uh, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. Um, now the first thing to note is that very first word. Richard drew it to our attention. Uh, it's always good to remember whenever you see that word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? Uh, this one, uh, as Richard pointed out, is there because it connects to the previous passage. It connects to the end of chapter 3 uh, that Liam preached on last week. Uh, and it's there particularly... Uh, connecting what, what's here uh, to Jesus as our example for suffering. Uh, and so to give you a little uh, uh, reminder of where we've been, uh, you might remember if you've been here that over the past few weeks, uh, we've seen a number of situations where we're supposed to, as Christians, do good. Uh, it stemmed way back to chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, which said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, and so from there on, we've seen a whole bunch of different scenarios, situations, uh, where, uh, and what it looks like to live a good life, the good life that it talks about. Uh, so first we saw what that looks like in government and society uh, as a citizen. Then we saw what it looks like for slaves and, and in that kind of work situation. And then we saw in the household for husbands and for wives. And ultimately last week we saw that often as we live out this good life, uh, particularly in the context that this letter was written to, the people receiving it for the first time, uh, that suffering is likely going to be a part of, of living that out. Uh, that it will come hand in hand with it. And so last week uh, we saw that Peter points to Jesus as the ultimate sufferer. Uh, the one who was obedient to God's will no matter what the cost. Uh, and so the idea was expressed in 3.17. It said this, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good uh, than for doing evil. Uh, and in, its, in itself, it's a pretty simple idea, isn't it? That Christians need to be convinced that it's better to do right, even if it means suffering, than it is to do wrong. Simple, right? Uh, and so that's how we get... Uh, to this idea that we find in verse 1. Uh, I'll read it again. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffered, suffers in the body has finished with sin. Um, now, as we read that, it's good to make sure that we understand what this verse is and what it isn't saying. 
uh, particularly we need to grapple with this idea that whoever suffers in the body is finished with sin. Uh, It might take you off guard, trying to wrap your head around it. Uh, What it can't be saying is that if you physically suffer, then you'll no longer ever sin. Uh, It can't be saying that. There's plenty of places in the Bible we can go to see that that just isn't the truth. Uh, uh, It it just simply can't be the case. Uh, It's not even saying that anyone who physically suffers will always be strengthened against sin. Because again, we know that that's just not true. Uh, Though it does happen for some, for others, it's the thing that turns them away from God. Um, uh, See, what it is saying is that the person who has the same attitude as Christ, uh, the person that is convinced that it's better to do right and to suffer than to do evil, uh, when they put that into action and suffer for doing right, they've made a clear break from sin. Uh, They've made a choice. Uh, This doesn't make them perfect and sin-free, Uh, But it means that they've committed uh, to the right direction. They've committed to God's direction, to following his will. Uh, The suffering uh, in and of itself doesn't do away with sin, uh, but it shows a person's commitment, their willingness to tread uh, the path of righteousness no matter what comes along. Uh, So I think... It's the no pain, no gain of Christianity. Now, you've heard the expression before, I'm sure of it. Uh, I don't know if it's really true all of the time, um, but certainly, uh, in my experience of trying to get fit, it's a true expression. Uh, it's, it's been always true so far. Um, recently, some of you know this, I've started going to a CrossFit gym uh, with Lorenz up the back there. He's dragged me along. Um, now, if you've never heard of CrossFit, Uh, Don't be confused. It sounds like it might be a bunch of Christians hanging out trying to get fit. It's not. Uh, CrossFit, its goal is to create the ultimate fitness. Uh, And it doesn't mind hurting you to get there. Uh, They get you lifting ridiculous weights, pull-ups, throwing medicine balls up above your head, uh, and and all sorts of things like this, all in the name of fitness. Uh, And it certainly brings that no pain, no gain expression to life. Uh, There's been times where, and this is true, I've got home and I've had to crawl my way up the stairs just so I can go to bed. Uh, I can't walk up the stairs. We probably should get a stair railing at some point. Um, But there's been moments of intense pain. Uh, And when you have that kind of experience, you definitely ask yourself the question, is this worth it? Uh, Now, lots of you will say, no, it's not. You're an idiot. Uh, (laughs) Is the pain worth the gain? Uh, Lorenz is convinced. I think I'm almost there. Uh, See, what makes it even worse is you go to the gym and you say, oh, this is so painful. I can't wait until I get conditioned and and it stops hurting. Will will that come? And they don't say anything. They just kind of look at you apologetically like, sorry, buddy, it's going to hurt forever. See, when it comes to CrossFit, you have to decide, is the pain worth the gain? Uh, Am I willing to endure the torment for the sake of getting fitter? Uh, But once you decide, it's freeing, isn't it? Once you decide that that same pain that was such a turn-off becomes the thing that spurs you on. As you feel the pain, you go, this is working, I'm getting fitter. Uh, And so you get more and more committed, even through the pain. Uh, you go, you, it reminds you, next time I'll be able to jump a little higher, I'll be able to lift a little, 
a little bit more. Uh, So the pain is the thing that spurs you on. Uh, When it comes to the Christian life, suffering is much the same because it forces you to ask that question. Is this worth it? Uh, Because inevitably in the Christian life, suffering will come. We see that through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, It might look different for each of us, but in some form, it will come. Uh, And when it does, you need to have asked the question, is it worth it? Because if you haven't, you run away. You'll escape. Uh, And so suffering, because it makes us ask the question, uh, it commits us to obedience to God. Uh, And so we realise we've decided that our obedience to God is even more important uh, than our desire to avoid the pain of suffering. Uh, So when suffering does come along, uh, we'll be even more committed to the path. Uh, I think that's why uh, so often when we see that the church is persecuted, uh, in that place it seems to grow. I don't know if you've noticed this, it's not always true, uh, but often it is. Uh, So China would be a really great example of a place like that. Uh, 50 or 60 years ago, there's only a few million Christians in China. Um, and, and over that time, people have been locked up. They've even been killed, persecuted for their faith. Uh, yet rather than dwindling, Christianity has grown. Uh, a lot of people estimate there's somewhere around 100 million Christians in China today. Uh, despite the persecution, despite the arrest, the, even the murder. Uh, why is that? Well, I think it's because if you're a Christian in China, you've asked the question, is it worth it? Uh, And if you've decided yes, then even the suffering that comes will spur you on to keep that obedience. Uh, And as we've seen through through Peter, people see that. They respond. They want to know more. Uh, And so Christianity grows. Uh, Now, I think the difficulty for us in this uh, is that it's far too easy to live as a Christian without ever having to ask the question, uh, without ever being forced into a position where we have to figure out if the suffering is worth it. Uh, Because we don't seem to suffer in such an extreme way, at least not at the moment. But I want to say, whoever you are, wherever you live, the Christian life will bring pain. Uh, It might not be outright persecution like we see in other countries, uh, but it will cost you. Uh, There's no two ways about it. Uh, If being a Christian isn't costing you in some way, be it your time, your efforts, your money, uh, if it's not costing you in some way, you're probably doing it wrong. Choosing to follow Jesus means that you'll put all your resources to follow him, and that that will mean sacrifice. Uh, Remember verse 2. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So there's only two choices. Either you're putting your efforts toward God uh, or you're putting it toward earthly desire. No pain, no gain. As we head into this new year, uh, as we weigh up uh, how we're going in our transformed Christian life, the question we need to ask is whether we'll stick at it when it hurts. Will you make the hard choices, even when it costs you, whether it's time, effort, money, relationships, Whatever it might be, will you stick at it when it's hard? Uh, And it leads us to our second point, that the Christian life is an all-in lifestyle. Uh, So have a look at verse 3 with me. It says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to to do. 
living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. Uh, When you come to the Christian life, it's a game changer, isn't it? It's a complete out with the old and in with the new. Uh, In the New Year's resolution kind of terms, it's going through the cupboards, collecting all the bags of chips and blocks of chocolates and chucking them straight in the bin so that you can't be tempted. It's a complete change. Uh, Peter writes, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. Uh, Now, the word pagans there uh, really just means people who aren't Christians. There's nothing particularly sinister about it. Uh, It's just making that difference. Uh, You are different to the rest of the world. Uh, And Peter says, you've done it enough. You've lived like them enough. You've sinned plenty. uh, And now that you're a Christian, you don't need to anymore. Uh, And in in case it's not clear, he lists a whole bunch of examples. Uh, Now that list is not exhaustive. It's not all the possible sins. Uh, It was likely particular to some of the things that were going on around the people that Peter was writing to. Uh, For lots of us, some of those things won't be particularly things uh, that make us stand out. So chances are, before you became a Christian, you weren't heading down to the local temple to worship an idol. Uh, It's less of a thing for us. There's no big change on that front. Um, But I suspect if Peter was writing to us, he'd probably mix up the list a a little bit, he'd tweak it a bit, maybe chuck in things like greed and pride, the things that we really struggle with. But the point of the list is to say that uh, all your old sinful ways are out, effective immediately. Total change. Uh, Now, I don't know about you, and and I'm sorry to keep coming back to the health and fitness thing, uh, but I think it's a good example today. Uh, When I decide to go for fitness, uh, I'm just not an all-in kind of guy. Um, I just can't do it. Now, my dad is here tonight. He's visiting, uh, which is lovely. Uh, And my dad has done an astounding... There he is. Uh, He's done an astounding job of losing a whole bunch of weight over the last couple of years. He probably is not very impressed with me telling you this. I didn't check with him beforehand. Sorry. Uh, But over the last couple of years, he's lost somewhere 40, 50, 45 kilos. That's pretty good. Uh, Now, the way that he's done that is by going all in. Uh, He has gone totally no compromises. Uh, And believe me, I've put it to the test. You can wave whatever you want in front of him, beer, chips, chocolate, you name it. He won't budge. He's committed. Uh, Me, on the other hand, uh, I'm working on my fitness. I've talked before, I've been going to CrossFit. Uh, But there's some sacrifices I just can't bring myself to make. KFC is just too good. I can't go all the way. And it's easy to justify, right? Wow, I just almost died for an hour at the gym. Surely a couple of wicked wings aren't going to do too much damage. See, it's easy to compromise, right? I think when it comes to the Christian life, it's easy to be like me and fitness. To juggle in our heads, to, to justify, to compromise. I'm doing really well with the Bible at the moment. So, so it's probably okay if I'm not very generous, but I, I really splurge and buy that fancy new car. Uh, so we do the compromise, don't we? Um, but here in this passage, Peter just doesn't leave us room for that sort of compromise. He doesn't give us space for it. When you become a Christian, you're done with all your old sinful behaviour. The Christian life is an all-in pursuit. 
Uh, now, of course, it needs to be said that none of us are perfect, uh, me least of all. Uh, we will make mistakes. Uh, and a slip-up doesn't mean that God is going to kick us out of his family any more than a chip is going to put all that weight back on my dad. Uh, See, so the point here is our attitude. What are we aiming for? Are we aiming to be all in as Christians, or are we okay to compromise where we feel like it? Uh, now, that hurts as we think about it, isn't it? Doesn't it? It's, a, it's an extreme lifestyle. Uh, as we, we think about what that means, it's a big deal. Uh, and so it shouldn't surprise you that by living it out, you're going to stand out. People are going to notice. Uh, have a look at verse 4. It says, They are surprised. Uh, that's the, the pagans, the non-Christians. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living. And they heap abuse on you. They, that is the non-Christians around you, won't understand. Uh, they'll notice the difference. And, and last week we saw that it will lead some to ask for the reason. And that it's great. Uh, it will give us a chance to share the gospel because they'll see that difference. Um, but for many, it will simply make us seem strange. Uh, and we see that for them... Uh, they'll heap abuse on us. Uh, which leads to our third point, that there is a finish line. Uh, it's there in 5 and 6. It says, But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Uh, we're reminded that the way we respond to God matters. Uh, in, this, in the end, either we'll accept the grace that Jesus gives us, uh, we'll repent and we'll turn our lives to follow him, or we'll reject it. Uh, we're left with no middle ground. Verse 2 gave us the two options, didn't it? We live for human desires uh, or we live for the will of God. Uh, now, there's some funny language around that verse. Uh, in there, uh, perhaps you're struggling to understand a little bit. Uh, it talks about God as the judge of the living and the dead uh, and about the gospel being preached even to those who are now dead. Uh, and maybe that uh, made you wonder what's going on there, what's that about? Uh, and you'd be glad to know you're not the first who's asked that question. Uh, but the good news is that the answer is a relatively simple one. Uh, so you've got to keep in mind uh, that this is the very early days of Christianity. Uh, the people that, that were being written to were still trying to wrap their head around uh, how it all works. Uh, for the non-Christians around them, uh, they were thinking that this salvation that the, the Christians were talking about was ridiculous. So they watched people become Christians. Uh, they watched them make all this sacrifice and suffer. And then they die with nothing to show for it. That didn't make sense. Uh, they didn't understand that Jesus saves us not from physical death, since we all die, uh, unless we're there when Jesus comes back, uh, but from a spiritual death. Uh, in fact, not even all the Christians had yet come to grasp how that worked. Uh, so have a look with me uh, at this verse from 1 Thessalonians. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, uh, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, Paul, who's writing Thessalonians, has to clarify for them that though some of the Christians have died, uh, they are not lost. 
Uh, because at this point in history, dying as a Christian was new. It hadn't happened before. Christianity was in its first couple of generations. And so here in 1 Peter, we see that everyone, even those who have already died, will face God's judgment. Uh, and that's why preaching the gospel is so important. And for us as Christians, uh, it should spur us on to three different things. Uh, the first uh, is it's a reminder that this pain and gain all in life as a Christian is headed somewhere. There is an end in sight, a finish line, uh, and a crown for those of us who believe. Uh, and so while this life is often hard and painful, uh, we're reminded that there's a great prize in heaven waiting for us at the end. Uh, the second thing, uh, it spurs us on to keep spreading the good news. Judgment is not a thing to be taken lightly. Uh, it's not a thing that we should ever wish upon anyone. Uh, and so we should be out there seeking that everyone would hear the gospel, that everyone would hear how to avoid it. Uh, remember, this section comes at the end of two chapters uh, that show us the important li- importance of living good lives in the world, uh, good lives that will provoke people to turn to God, to see his glory uh, and ask about the hope that we have. Uh, now, the third thing that it should do is it should spur us on to pray. Uh, the third thing that Finish Line does is encourage us to pray. It's there in verse 7. Uh, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Uh, now, it's interesting, isn't it, that as we see the end of all things approaching, as we get closer to Jesus returning uh, and bringing an end to this world as we know it, the action that goes with it is to pray. Uh, And notice that it's not just to pray, uh, but to be sober-minded and alert so that we can pray. And it gives us a little bit of shape to what our prayer should look like. Uh, The kind of prayers that we should be doing are are committed, uh, alert and sober-minded suggests deliberate, informed prayers, doesn't it? Uh, Part of our application from today as we go away needs to be be diligent in how we uh, go about our prayers, that we're not just... Uh, throwing random thoughts up, though that might be the case sometime. But we need to be really thinking about what should we be praying for? What's going on in the world around us? Uh, And so we've seen so far that the transformed life of a Christian is a committed one. Uh, A life that is willing to endure pain in order to live it out. Uh, We've seen that it's an all-in, no half-measures kind of life. Uh, And we've seen that there is a finish line, that this life is heading somewhere. Judgment will come for all, uh, and we need to be on the right side of it. Uh, The fourth thing there, uh, this last point, is that the transformed Christian life values membership. Uh, Now, as we head into this, you might notice that these last few verses are a little bit of a departure from from the previous sections that we've looked at. Uh, For the past two chapters or so, we've seen that Paul uh, has been explaining to us living good lives out in the world. Uh, our face to the world as Christians. Um, uh, But these last few verses turn the focus inward. Uh, It turns the focus to our lives amongst other Christians. Uh, Have a look with me there, verses 8 to 10. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Uh, Now, we know that this section is addressed to the church uh, because he writes to love each other. Uh, That is, love the people that are receiving this letter, the church. 
Uh, this love is to be a priority. They're to do it above all. Uh, now, that's not a new idea in the Bible, uh, this idea uh, of the importance uh, of, of serving the church, uh, serving the people around you at church as a priority. That's uh, something we find in other places. So uh, this verse from Galatians says much the same thing. Uh, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, as a Christian, you don't exist in isolation. Uh, you've joined a family, a family of believers, and you have a role to play. You're part of that family. It's not enough to just get in and out on a Sunday. Uh, we're told to participate in the life of the Christian family. Uh, the baseline for that is to love one another. Uh, that's where it starts, um, to care deeply for, for each other. Uh, the church in Corinth uh, had all sorts of problems, all sorts of rivalries and things going on, and so Paul points them to love. Uh, that's what they needed to focus on. And, and this is what he says about it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, see, in order to participate in the life of the Christian family, uh, that there is a non-negotiable part of it. Uh, that picture of love is the starting point, uh, but it's not where it stops. See, we start there. That's how we should be getting along, uh, but we read more. Uh, next, in verse 9, we're told to offer hospitality to, not, to one another without grumbling. Um, now, it's interesting, I think, that this instruction to give hospitality is an instruction that's given to everyone. Uh, it doesn't say just you who are good at it. Uh, but it's given to everyone. We sometimes talk about the gift of hospitality. Uh, and I think that's true. There is a gifting that some people have, uh, a particular talent uh, in welcoming people into their homes and into their lives. Uh, but even though we might not all have that specific gift, uh, we're told to all offer hospitality. Um, now have a think about how you can welcome people. Uh, not just the ones that you're particularly close to, uh, but how can you welcome the people in your church family into your homes and into your lives? That's part of what we're to do as Christians. Uh, now, there's all sorts of ways that that can happen. Uh, I know a couple uh, here uh, who aren't always able to welcome people into their homes. It's just not uh, a physical possibility. Uh, and so they practice hospitality by taking people to Maccas. So there's different ways it can work. Um, but we're all told to open up our lives and share with each other. That's what hospitality is. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy, uh, but we are all called to express it. Uh, the next thing we read there is that each of us should use uh, whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, now those with time, uh, n- not just those with time, not just those who are super keen, but all of us, each one of us, uh, is to serve using the gifts that God has given us. Uh, that's a big call. Uh, as the guy in charge of the rosters, I really like this verse. It's a good thing. Um, I think the temptation for us as we read that is to tell ourselves that, oh, well, I want to be on serving at church, but my gifts don't really line up with, with what you've got there on the roster. Um, uh, and I think often, not always, but often... That's just an escape, escape clause for us, isn't it? 
Uh, the hospitality we saw is a great example, isn't it? Some of us are particularly gifted in that area, but all of us can give it a go. Um, if you have hands, I think that's most of us, if you have hands, you're pretty well qualified to help with setup. Uh, I think if you did one of those fancy questionnaires, you know, what is my spiritual gift? Uh, probably none of them would come up with setting up chairs before church. But all of you are gifted in a way that allows you to do it, aren't you? Peter tells us that we're to seek out ways to serve others at church. Now, if you're not sure what that looks like, uh, chat with someone, ask a friend, ask them what they think you would do well at. Um, But, better than that, just sign up for stuff. Just get in and do it. Uh, We might find along the way that there's some things that you're just not cut out for. um, But I'm pretty sure we'll find plenty of things that you are. As I mentioned in the announcements, this is the time of year that I'm asking people to sign up to serve in church in a whole bunch of different ways this year. Uh, From kids' church to dinner to set up to sound, uh, my goal is to have each and every one of you who comes here regularly playing a role. Uh, Not just because I want my rosters to be full, though that would be lovely, uh, but I want it uh, because I want to see all of us living out this passage of the Bible, living out what God has in mind for us. I want us to fully realise this pain and gain all in toward the finish line, transform Christian life. Uh, as a pastor, that's my dream, that's my desire for us to all live that life, to live it out in full. Uh, it's not an easy life. In fact, uh, I'm trying to go to lengths to show you just how hard it is, just how full on it is to truly follow Jesus. Um, but it is every bit worth it. Uh, There's a crown that waits at the finish line for all who head in Jesus' direction. The prize is there. The life is worth it. Uh, And as you head there, it's good to remember that you're not alone. Uh, Listen to verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. God is with us every step of the way. We speak with the words that God gives to us. We serve with the strength that he provides. And we do it all for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we can be here tonight. We thank you for your word here in 1 Peter. And we thank you for this encouragement to live out the fully transformed Christian life. Uh, Lord, as we think about it, as we look at what it means, the pain, uh, the all-in nature of it, Lord, we, we know it's hard. And so we ask you for your help. Please give us your strength that we can live this out. Please help us be all-in Christians. Uh, and we pray that in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.